Welcome in. Welcome in. You are in the GOAT Zoom room. I'm Caitlin, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Andy. And this week we are joined by an old favorite, Andrew Champagne. We are talking Saratoga and Del Mar. It's Saratoga Eve. Del Mar starts on Friday. Um, Andy, how are we feeling? This is such an exciting week. This is like the Christmas week of the summer season. Yeah, it really is. I think it's one of those uh, weekends everybody looks up to and looks forward to. And I remember my first Del Mar as a backside employee and couldn't figure out why it was so popular. And then you go there and you work and able to walk to the beach and have some fun on, on the one dark day with everybody. It was pretty cool. And uh, it's a shame they only do, what, two or three, three or four days now instead of six days. But um, it's still a great place to be. And uh, the views are stunning. You know, I started going to Del Mar a couple years ago um, when I was actually living out in California. Um, and, like, I was excited to go, but I didn't really understand the grandeur of it until I was actually there and really got to experience it and really appreciate it. Um, it's one of my favorite places. Not only did I go to the track every day, almost of the whole meet, but I got to spend time on the beach and the restaurants in Del Mar, the shopping, it's just, it's all fantastic. And to me, I would say that Keeneland will always have my heart. There will never be a favorite track to me other than Keeneland, but Del Mar is a close second. So if uh, I may um, jump in here uh -oh. really quickly. Wow. Um, Wait, we didn't no, even I'm... say who the guest was yet. Yeah, they I did. did. Caitlin did. Oh, Thank you. Did? you. Andy, oh, let's sorry. try maybe to pay attention, especially when you're the co-host on your own podcast. Um, but no, <laughs> kidding, kidding aside, um, Delmar's beautiful, but Saratoga is my home. I grew up in upstate New York. I grew up going to Saratoga back when it was 24 days. It was a long time ago. It went from 24 to 30 to 36 to 40. And then they went from running six days a week to running five days a week. I said this on another podcast and it rings true. The soundtrack to my childhood in the summers was Tom Durkin over the PA system and the recently departed Harvey Pack on Thoroughbred Action. That's how I fell in love with the game. And look, the appeal of these boutique racetracks is you go there and it's very, very hard not to have a good time. It, with all due respect to some racetracks that are out there, if your first trip to a racetrack is to a C-level or a D-level racetrack or circuit, it might be a little bit tougher to find something to actively immerse yourself in if you're not overly familiar with the product. Saratoga, Delmar, Keeneland, it's tough not to have a good time there. And if you're there, you pick a couple of winners, you have a good time in the backyard, you're going to come back. And that is the most important part as far as cultivating fan education and making these people that come to the track once or twice a year, maybe come once or twice a month and learn more about the product. So it cannot be underestimated, the role that these tracks have in cultivating fans. And that's the reason they're as beloved as they are. Well, one of them, at least. I'm, I'm telling you right now that, well, for you, there's one of them. Um, but I'm telling you right now, I think I, I remember the I remember the first horse that I that I fell in love with at Del Mar as a better was uh, 
it's all Greek to me. Uh, Wally Delasi trained him. Corey Nakatani rode him for then his father-in-law. And I remember the Del Mar Derby and all, all the shenanigans uh, that went late, that basically happened during that Del Mar meet, which was so much fun. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, it, I personally have never been to Saratoga. I want to go to Saratoga. Uh, I don't even care if it's just for the day. But I find it hard to believe that you can't just fall in love with that view from from just driving into the racetrack at, at uh, Del Mar. I mean, you can, and it's certainly a beautiful environment. The Bing Crosby song says, take a plane, take a train, take a car. And by the way, you're going to get very tired of that song. If you get there early after you hear it, you know, one or two times, it's fine. Five or six is a little much. <laughs> oh man. I, that's, that's the only other song that I, the only other thing that I know, like from the top of my head that I can still say today is that song but it's the beginning of the Main Street Electrical Parade. I can tell you exactly what they say at the beginning of it, because when I was in high school, I used to be a popcorn vendor on Main Street. So I would hear that <laughs> song three times, three times a day. I would hear the beginning of that thing. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> De Del Mar is an absolutely beautiful place. And let me be the first person to say that you go down there, you're going to have a good time. I, I should probably stop here because there's a couple of things that I really don't want to get into and talk about. But Del Mar, you're going to have a good time. Saratoga, you're going to have a good time. Keeneland, you're going to have a good time. And it's one of those things where you worry about how people in upper management see these meets as potentially where they make all their money. And if you lengthen these boutique meets to where they're not boutique meets anymore, is some of that specialness going to be lost? It's a valid question. I definitely I agree, agree with you. you. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I definitely agree with you. Um, one meet that I think is starting to become a boutique meet, and this will be my first year going to this, is Kentucky Downs. Kentucky Downs is something that gets everybody excited every year just because it's so different, and they, they've extended their meet a little bit, but they're still only running, like, what, seven to ten days, which... Well, that's all the, that's all the state of Kentucky allows them to. Right. Do. That's and the problem. People just go nuts over it. And I mean, not that it rivals Saratoga or Del Mar or Keeneland, but I mean, it's starting to get to that point where people are really getting excited for a meet like that. Can, can we just give a shout out to the, the job CJ did at, at yes. Kentucky Downs to make it that? Unbelievable work. And you could feel that he was not there anymore last year. There were a number of things that went down that were just not acceptable. There was a horse that broke from the wrong stall. There were battery outages in starting gates. There were issues with distances of races and run-ups and whatnot. Kentucky Downs was still fine, but it's a case where this year, I think, they've got a lot to prove. Yeah, definitely. I would absolutely agree. It was a, I don't want to say a shit show last year because, I mean, it was it still a It wasn't a nice shit piece. show. It was just certain things that were should not occur did occur. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, at the same token, um, 
I know we both, I know all three of us have been at Del Mar. And before we shift over to Saratoga, I've got to ask a question. Best place you went to go eat at? Nobody? Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying to think of it. Um, and I'm just deferring to Caitlin because when I lived in SoCal, I honestly lived in LA and just ate when I got home. Um, Jake's is amazing. The Brigantine is obviously amazing, but I think my favorite place to eat there is Sabika. Okay. I I've loved the Brigantine forever. Um, my go-to place was always Bullies. Okay. Uh, I love Bullies. Bullies was the greatest place in the world. You would walk in there and you would see every single type of handicapper. Um, James Quinn would be holding court. I mean, it, it was just crazy. Um, yeah, and, best nightlife, and be, best nightlife at the time was uh, belly up. You could never go wrong going to the belly up. Some of the great Warren Zevon would play there during the Del Mar meet. It was just great. Now um, we now we're now we're gonna go and switch. <laughs> Saratoga. Probably the best meet of the year. Um, explain why, Andrew. Explain why people should be paying attention to this meet. There are so many different reasons, and this could take the entire podcast, but Saratoga is where the best of the best come. You get the best trainers. You get the best jockeys. You get the best horses. You get two-year-olds that are incredibly precocious. You see new stars being made in these two-year-old races. In past years, you would see the progression going from either maiden races or those lower-level graded races like the Sanford or the Saratoga Special to the hopeful at the end of the meet. You see races like the Whitney. You see races like the Travers. You see races like the Alabama. Races that have been won by some of the best of the best. You have the town that has the Racing Hall of Fame and the Racing Hall of Fame induction ceremony, which will return this summer. You see a town that lives and breathes thoroughbred horse racing, morning, noon, and night. You can go to Saratoga in the morning, set down your cooler on a picnic table in the backyard, watch morning workouts, go across the street to the Hall of Fame, come back and go to a day at the races. There are people that go to Saratoga that love thoroughbred horse racing who just sit in the backyard, never necessarily go out to the track to watch a race run, and they have some of the best times that they'll have of the entire year. There are so many cool things about Saratoga Racecourse. If you have not been, Andy, what I are haven't you doing? been either. Caitlin, come on. My goodness. I'll tell, go. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. Three years ago, I was supposed to go with uh, Bruno with racing with the works. But I literally got homesick having having to be at Keeneland for a full month and not be home. Because Fair. I'm happier. I'm happier. I'm happier with my with my significant other than I am with Bruno. <laughs> can't complain about that so you know i'd rather be home with with the kids uh all five of them than having to be with uh one person who uh, at times can be miserable so happy uh, wife happy know. life too exactly man exactly but i will i will take a weekend or something one year at soon and and do that Oh, you absolutely should. It's There's so much that you can do there. I mean, if you want to take a road trip, 
Cooperstown is about an hour and a half away. That's where the Baseball Hall of Fame is, of course. That's another time warp. And by the way, if you're going to Cooperstown, you're going to want to have brunch at a hotel called the Otis Saga. It's overlooking a picturesque lake and golf course. The food is terrific. I think there's a picture of my face with a circle and a line through it next to the prime rib station because I went there once when I was in either high school or college and had five helpings of the prime rib. That's how good it was. And by the time I was on serving number five, they were cutting it about an inch thick just to get me to go away. Um, it's, it's a fun place. And uh, I, maybe I've got a second career as a chamber of commerce advisor in me. I don't know. So give us, give us something that we give us, give us some of the trainers that predominantly always point to this meet. Like I know sure. like, like Brown will do it and uh, Pletcher, but give us some other name, some lesser trainers and smaller, not lesser trainers, but trainers that like you don't see running and stake races all the time that that will point to this meet. Sure. So you are going to get the best of the best from the New York circuit. You'll get your Chad Browns, who, by the way, is a native of nearby Mechanicville, New York. He has always been pointing to Saratoga, even before he made it big. You're going to get Todd Fletcher. You're going to get some of the big names you're accustomed to seeing. What you're going to want to look for, though, are those trainers that constantly show up in claiming races. Charlton Baker is a big one. A couple of years ago, Charlton Baker went on an epic hot streak at Saratoga. He was hitting at something like 40% for most of the meet. I think he was 10 for 25 at one point. Uh, you're also going to see some trainers shipping in from the Finger Lakes pay very, very, very close attention to these horses and how they are bet at the first flash of the tote board. In fact, there is one horse on opening day that fits that bill. Usually these horses are between 10 to 1 and 15 to 1 on the morning line. If they open up at half of that, chances are they're well-meant and they can run. Uh, Anthony Ferraro is a very good example of this. He's a very good trainer over at the Finger Lakes. And when he shows up at Saratoga, it's not for any frequent flyer miles or ship and win bonuses. He's shipping in horses that he thinks can win. And a couple of times every meet, you get a horse like that, that pops at a price. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on. I second that. That's that that's something that I have noticed is paying attention to the Finger Lakes horses at Saratoga. Um, the Inglehearts is another example um, of trainers that train some at Finger Lakes and other tracks in New York. They don't bring them to Saratoga just to bring them there. Chances are those horses can run and will hit the board. Um, they're not going to be as much of a price as maybe some other trainers, but definitely keep an eye out on the Finger Lakes horses. They've been preparing for this meet. I'm always... I'm always really impressed with um, with how people go about their handicapping as far as as far as Saratoga is concerned. It's so much different than Del Mar when it comes to it because you have so many different ways to to handicap this track. Uh, I know I know that if you if you follow the circuit, if you follow the Naira circuit or if you even follow the Kentucky circuit with all the big name trainers and they have multiple horses at different different little venues, you have a better insight of to where you want to do it. One thing I will mention, if a horse has been at Saratoga and it only has one work over the training track, the Oklahoma training track, a good chance that 
for me, I'm probably not going to play it um, because he's probably not fit enough yet. Um, I like seeing horses coming in from Belmont and and uh, and Finger Lakes before I even look at horses from other places to make a decision on a, on a horse. And that's just my opinion as far as that's concerned. So the one thing I will point out here, and you make a couple mm-hmm. of decent points there as far as horses coming in from certain surfaces and horses that have shown an affinity for Saratoga. This cannot possibly be overstated. Saratoga's configuration and Belmont's configuration, very, very different. The most obvious is there's more two-turn races at Saratoga. Races that are a mile and an eighth at Saratoga are two turns. At Belmont, they're one turn, and that's huge for some horses. Also, Saratoga's surface, usually significantly deeper. They call Belmont Big Sandy for a reason. You can't put enough water on that racetrack. It's going to be very, very fast. Saratoga is a little bit deeper, a little bit more demanding, and there are some horses that really like that, and there are some horses that do not like that at all whatsoever. The other thing to to keep in mind, rather, is the difference in the turf courses between Belmont and Saratoga. This past meet especially, Belmont Park's turf courses were basically green pavement. You were seeing ridiculous times, ridiculous fractions. It's a very particular turf course. Saratoga's turf course, usually a little bit softer. They get some more rain up in upstate New York. They call them Saratoga monsoons for a reason. And you see horses that benefit from going the true two-turn routes. At Belmont Park, they'll run mile, mile and a 16th races out of their shoots on the turf courses. And that's one thing but it's not a true two-turn route race. At Saratoga, if you're going a mile, you're going two turns. And for a lot of reasons that I've just mentioned, if you're on the inner turf course and you see one horse that looks like it's the controlling speed and it's a decent price, you're going to want to use that horse because loan speed on the inner turf at Saratoga is a very powerful angle. It's it's a big angle. Um, I I'll give you I'll give you one, uh, Caitlin. What's one of your uh, go-to angles when it comes to Saratoga? If you have one, or even Delmar. Um, this is gonna sound weird, but some of my favorite races at Saratoga are the jumps races that start off the card. Um, I'm very active in watching the National Hunt races so, over in Europe, so. Oftentimes they won't ever bring over like a honeysuckle or an apple's jade or a horse like that over to Saratoga, but they'll bring some of the lesser like grade three um, bumper winners over to Saratoga to get them some experience. And I'll look and kind of see who that horse has ran into. And that's a really good angle to look and see if they've come out of some decent races over in Europe. Chances are they're going to win a um, jumps race over here. So that's an angle that has paid off for me when it comes to that. But um, as far as the flat, I'm still really learning a lot about Saratoga. The surfaces, um, I would say definitely the front end speed on the inner turf course is a really, really good one that An- Andrew mentioned. But um, other than the jumps races, I can't really think of many because like I said, this is a track that um, I've been watching for about 10 years or so, but I'm still just really learning um, how to factor in my bets with everything. I really need to take about a, the first week to really watch and see if there's any trends, see if there's anything I need to look out for, what barns are starting to get hot. So this is a peculiar meet, and I don't have a lot of angles. 
A couple trainers to look at here, I think, uh, and one in particular, George Weaver. George Weaver constantly points for this meet. Um, yep. You can you can tell me no on this one, Andrew, but predominantly George gets off to a hot start. If he doesn't get off to a hot start, that's the way he's going to be the entire meet, um, which is something I've noticed over the last few years where – if he doesn't get hot early, he doesn't fire the whole meet. And that's a t- that that's something you always have to make note of as far as that type of uh, situation. Yep, there's some validity to that. And there are some trainers who, while they achieve tremendously on other circuits, for whatever reason, don't necessarily do well at Saratoga. Andy Serling said it best, you're nobody until you get wiped out at Saratoga over the course of a meet. Mark Cassie had a very long losing streak a couple of meets ago. This is a Hall of Fame caliber horseman that wins at 18 20% pretty much everywhere he goes. He comes to Saratoga and he's just another guy. Mike Maker had a couple of seasons where he'd go two for his first 40. He'd be running second and third, but getting to the winner's circle at Saratoga, it's hard and it should be hard. It really is. Um, I remember the Cassie. The Cassie deal happened three years ago. And for whatever reason, he was riding Le Peru a lot at that time. He still um, does. And uh, Le Peru was on a horse that I had, I, had, I had all this film on this horse. This horse was making the same run every single time with different riders on it. And then they put Le Peru on it. And I'm like, this horse is going to win. He's going to win huge. He's 10 to one. No way he's going to lose. And Le Peru gets stuck behind horses like he normally does. And doesn't the horse just like, I'm done. I'm not going to win. The next time he wins, obviously. But I, I'm just like, you know, you, you can't overestimate. You can't estimate the trips some horses will take at this track because of the way the rails set up on the turf at times. Because there are certain horses that thrive on being on the outside and getting that, getting that outside momentum move to go. And yeah, yeah. I was hoping you were going to say something there, and then we got dead air. Um, no, honestly, I think you nailed it. I think it's a case where you really do need to watch certain connections and you need to see how certain jockeys are riding, especially early in the meet. You're going to get certain jockeys that are going to get high quality mounts. The Ortiz brothers are always going to get quality mounts. That's just the way that it is. John Velasquez is going to get high quality mounts. Javier Castellano will always be kicking around, etc. But there are some jockeys that do very well at other tracks that do not do as well up in Saratoga. There were two in the 1990s and 2000s that really stick out to me, and I wound up cashing a lot of tickets simply because those horses had these riders one time, and those riders took off. Jean-Luc Samin and Mike Luzzi have both won a lot, and I mean a lot of races over the course of their career. At Saratoga, they were dreadful. Over a period of about five or ten years, Samin off and Luzzi off wound up being two pretty profitable angles for a short time there. Yeah, um, a couple a couple riders that you know you know one rider that I will say I always loved when he got off of a horse off on the turf, 
and this is probably because he had a, a little PTSD um, because of the injuries, but it was Mike Smith. Mike Smith, um, anytime you had him on the turf, you take off you, and you put somebody else on him, at some point in time, you were able to win races because he did not like that turf course after his injury. So I was there that day. Um, I was there that day. I saw him go down. I was a kid. I, this was what, 93, 94, there, thereabouts. Yeah. I was five or six, I think, maybe. And it's still fresh in my mind. You see him go down, you see him bounce off of the hedge. And oh my, it's, it's a miracle that he wound up returning to riding at all. But you're absolutely right. It was a case where, and justifiably so, you ride timid at Saratoga, you're not going to win a lot of races. And that's no. sort of what happened there. And what horse was he on when that happened? I don't remember what horse he was. I just remember he was there. I was there when it happened. I, and, and, that's the, and that's the main reason why he rides the way he does now, where he doesn't ride, he doesn't ride, you know, you know, near the rail, he rides a little further outside. He rides wide. Um, and the only time he's never done that is when he's been criticized by Bailey. So, you know, take it for what it is, you know, uh, you know, here's a guy who's still riding and I shouldn't be knocking him, but at the same time, man, you gotta, you gotta think about that. One, one thing I will yeah. say, here are some things that you do that people do need to watch out for. Chad Brown, Todd Fletcher, two of the big name trainers that are at Saratoga. They have three different outfits that ship in. Caitlin, yes. you're the newbie. Where do you think his best horses are coming from? Keeneland. No. Really? He ships in from Belmont, Monmouth, and Saratoga. So those are, I should have given you the three choices. So <laughs> I was going to say, cause I know there's some horses that are still training at Keeneland, especially for like Fletcher and a few other ones. Yeah. But. Yeah. But those are the main ones, the Saratoga, Belmont. If they're coming in from Kentucky, they're, they're pretty much golden. Right. I mean, that's just, because those are probably his better horses that he's trying to figure out where to find a spot. But right. Like every day racing. Where do you think these guys where, where's the A, B, and C, guys? I'm going to say the A's are probably coming from Belmont. Yeah, I will absolutely attest to that. And one thing I will have a comment about just after Andy is done. So, Andy, you finish up, and then I'll jump in because this is something I'm thrilled you brought up. I am a big believer that any horses that are coming in from Monmouth for Pletcher or Brown are automatic throwouts. Abso-freaking-lutely. <laughs> it doesn't matter where he puts them. If they're coming in from Monmouth, they're automatic throwout. Brown more so than me. Fletcher. Fletcher yes. can run horses at Monmouth and ship them up, and they can occasionally do well. There was a stat from Chad Brown a couple seasons ago with horses that were coming up from Monmouth, and it was one or two for a ridiculous number. And that's not saying that they're not spotting the horses well. It's not saying they can't run second or third. But my goodness, with the way these horses get bet, if you're telling me I need to take three to two on a Chad Brown horse 
coming up from Monmouth with works down there that are not inspiring? No, thank you. No, absolutely not. So there, there's another angle you can use, Caitlin. All right. I will write that down in my little book here to make sure that I use that one as well. Um, I'm looking to, I'm not in a slump right now with betting. I've just been taking a little bit of time off since the triple crown, but it's mostly to prepare for these races. So I'm excited to get back into it this weekend. Yeah. What I do mean, you make it of- is, oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say it's totally understandable for people to take a little bit of time off, recharge, and regrow the bankroll ahead of this sort of thing. I've been yep. playing a little bit. I've been playing more Woodbine and Pleasanton than anything else. Woodbine, because it's a really fun product where you can play 20-cent pick fours and such. Pleasanton, because it's my adopted home track that's a half hour away from where I'm talking to you right now. But it is logical to take a little bit of time off and recharge ahead of this sort of meet. You know what? There are trainers that do that. There are a lot of trainers who have horses that would be odds on at Los Alamitos, and they'd rather be six to one at Del Mar because it's Del Mar. I guess I should have said that I'm taking time to recharge and taking a little bit of time away from American racing because I have been betting some of the European races, some of the Japanese races. I bet heavily at Royal Ascot. So not racing as a whole American racing was kind of more of what I meant. Hey, Caitlin, I think anyone who knows you would have gotten that. If you were to say, <laughs> no, nah, I'm taking time off a of Royal Ascot, we would have said, okay, there's a problem. We need to stage some sort of intervention to find out what's going on. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> what do you make of Tyler Gaffney-Allen trying Saratoga this year. Good move. I feel like he's gotten enough in the way of connections with certain barns to where you've got to at least take a run at it. He had a run a couple of years ago when he was in Florida full-time and he was coming up to ride Saratoga on Mondays and Wednesdays because Gulfstream was Thursday through Sunday at the time, I believe. And he would wind up picking up these little mounts and these little breadcrumbs. He rode a lot for Nick Zito a couple of times. I remember that. He'd ride a little bit for Mike Maker. He'd pick up these mounts here and there. But he's definitely advanced his profile to where he's one of the top young riders in the sport. And if you are one of the top young riders in the sport, You go to Saratoga and you ply your trade there because that's where the best mounts are. And I know we're still three and a half, four months away, but the Breeders' Cup's coming up quick and it's never too early to start lining up your mounts for that. I think, I think his, I think it's incredible that he used to ride for me. He maker, maker made him. I'll give him that. Um, When Tyler was an apprentice, maker would use him all the time. Um, Maker was never afraid to use an apprentice. I mean, he when Katie Clawson was, you know, galloping for him and she ended up going to Indiana Grand, he would use her um, to ride when she was an apprentice. Uh, I just think that there are certain, you know, definitely on getting the mounts he got with Brown is what I want to look at. I want to see if that still holds true with the Ortiz brothers there, with Saez there, with Castellano there, and see if he still gets it. It's going to be fun. The rider race is always a good one to watch. 
I, I grew up in the heyday of Jerry Bailey. John Velasquez was the up and coming guy. You'd get Edgar Prado coming in and there were a couple of years where he snaked the riding title. The most bizarre summer though, and there has never been an adequate explanation for this. I will never ever understand how this happened. Alan Garcia won a Saratoga riding title. And at the time, yeah, he was riding well. Kieran McLaughlin had a lot of horses and he was riding a lot for Kieran at the time. But just looking back, on, you know, you see these guys, you see guys like Cordero, Jerry Bailey, John Velasquez, Edgar Prado. Wait, what the heck happened here? And it's I mean, still one of those things that a lot of people are still trying to figure out. To defend, to defend Garcia a little bit. I mean, he that year that he won that title, if mistake me if I'm wrong, but he was on some really good horses. Like he just was in the zone to where everybody was starting to ride him. And then all of a sudden the next year it was like, where did Garcia go? You know? Yeah. Like um, seriously. I mean, it's you're you're laughing at it, but it's true. Yeah, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page because Wikipedia is the source of all knowledge, right? From tw 2007 to 2010, he was 13th, 8th, 7th, and 16th in earnings. And then he started falling off a little bit. 2007 was when he won the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Uh, that was probably one of the bigger wins of his career. He won the Belmont in 2008 aboard Datara. Still wondering how the heck that happened. I was there that day. And the second you heard Tom Durkin saying Kent DeSormo waits on Big Brown, I remember going, uh-oh. You knew something was wrong. But at any rate, yeah, Alan Garcia won a lot of races for a very short time. And the more you look back, you're like, okay, wow, that was really brief, but really good. Yeah, now he's in at Woodbine, I think. I thought he was in Dubai. I'm, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. He was in Dubai for a while. I think he rode in Saudi Arabia for a little while and then yeah. came to Woodbine. So both of you may well be right. I don't like being right. I like being wrong. Uh, well, then <laughs> well, you're, in in the right, you're in the right. You're in the right business, Andy, because horse racing will absolutely humble you if you let it. Um, it's and this is something that I can speak to transitioning back to the way that I see Saratoga because I work for the pink sheet, which is the racing insert in the Saratoga. And if you're on track, it'll be available outside. You can also look at andrewchampagne.com every day. If you're not necessarily in Saratoga, but want to follow what I'm doing. It's hard. It's really, really, really hard to consistently handicap Saratoga and act as though you've got a clue all 40 days. Because there are going to be things that happen at Saratoga that you cannot see in the form. I remember always going with my dad when I grew up. And after two or three races a couple of days, we would look at each other and go, oh, it's going to be one of those days where you would see horses win at, say, 15 to 1, 20 to 1, 12 to 1. And there would be nothing in the form saying that horse had any particular shot or any reason you should back the horse. It's Saratoga. Weird things happen. Yeah, he, um, uh, I remember, I'll go back three years where I think it was, I want to say it was Vinny 
No, it might not have been Denny. It was a trainer that had ran a horse over the hurdles in like five straight races and then ran him at a at the last race on a maiden on the maiden card. Was this Arch Saratoga. Kingsley, maybe? If this was Arch Kingsley, I think I remember it. Oh, jeez. I was going to say, remember. I think I remember this too. But he ends up winning and he pays a huge price. And I'm like, oh, there's a new angle. Like, <laughs> first time off the hurdle. That's a, that's an angle that's that's never used. I mean, it's used I mean, in... In, in fairness, though, think about it this way. If you're running the hurdles going 100 meters or so, and all of a sudden you just see 100 meters straight with nothing to jump over, you're going to run faster and be more interested, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, a couple, one or two more things before we go. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about and, and go back to, especially like with Saratoga, um, and something that I've noticed with, with the whole switch, horses that have done well around a ground going one turn, i.e. at Belmont, will predominantly show more speed early on than fade. Do you agree or disagree? It depends. Um, it really is a situation where you're in the hands of the rider. And I think rider intent plays a big role. The guy you want on a front runner is Luis Sias. That's something that he's announced with authority the past several years. And in fact, one of my biggest scores on closing day last year, actually my best bet of the day was on a horse named Proven Strategies, who was just lone speed, jumped off the page. Luis Sias puts speed horses on the lead. That horse paid something like $13 and wound up wrapping up the pink sheet for me. So that was pretty nice. But you're going to try to have to play games with jockey intent. And if I may talk about one of the features on opening day at Saratoga, it is the quick call, which is a turf sprint. And the two speed horses in the race are both ridden by the Ortiz brothers. And look, I am not a conspiracist. I am not one of the people saying the Ortiz brothers fix races while still shoveling tens of thousands of dollars through the windows and supporting the product. By the way, if you do that, you're a hypocrite and there's no way around it. But Erod Ortiz rides Golden Pal, who's one speed. The other speed is ridden by Jose Ortiz. That's Jackson traveling. So you've got to think, okay, are these two brothers really going to duel each other into defeat or is one going to sit back? I think there is some truth to what you're saying, Andy, but I also think rider intent and instructions from trainers, that's absolutely going to play a role at Saratoga. The one thing I will say, at least as far as the main track goes, more often than not, it's pretty fair. And that's you know what you get when you have a deeper surface because you will get some front runners that really like it. And you will get some closers that prey on front runners who fade in the last 16th of a mile, because when you're running on such a deep surface, it can be a little bit draining. All right. Final question. For I have both one of at you. the end too. You, okay. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'll save it for last. Okay. What do you, what, what is it that you're looking for out of this meet? I mean, you could even mention the whole Baffert debacle if they're even going to have him run here. But 
what what is it that that you look forward to at this meet joy um when you're handicapping a lot of tracks like we all do there are times where it feels more detached there are times where they just feel like okay there's numbers on paper let's try to figure out what's going on maybe we watch a couple of replays we'll try to put together a ticket that doesn't earn us the wrath of the ticket police, et cetera, et cetera. Saratoga is different. Saratoga is where I became a racing fan. It's where I grew my career. There are a lot of handicappers out there who have a favorite track and it's publicized, whatever. I would argue very few in horse racing have had their fortunes more directly tied to one track than I have with Saratoga. And that's not any sort of an ego thing. It's not any sort of me bragging about anything. It's just, I made my name at Saratoga. And that's ultimately something that I'll always be proud of. It's why I continue to do the stuff for the pink sheet every year, because look, part of the reason we do what we do, not just as horse racing fans, but as people that communicate the sport to others is there's nothing better than helping somebody make money. And being able to do that at one of the last cathedrals in American horse racing, Andy Caitlin, there's nothing better than that. I, I will say this. I will say this. Um, and, I, and, I, and I always bring back this book because I think everybody should read it. It's called How Kentucky Became Southern. But they discuss the fact that Saratoga was around back in the turn of the century, not 1900s the 1800s and that to me a free buff makes it so much cooler to just be able to say i love i love playing the racetrack so i love playing that track it's just one of my favorite places i enjoy it the one thing i will say if you are handicapping or if you are playing the races on a daily basis there do not get discouraged if you have a bad day and do not go chasing if you have a bad day. I cannot agree with that sentiment more. There are going to be days as a print handicapper where I go over 10. It's going to happen. And usually what happens on those days is my top pick runs second five or six times. It's going to happen. You're going to have days where your opinion either isn't strong or you're just a little bit off. And that's one of the most frustrating things about this game One of my best friends is Gino Bacola, and he says this a lot. I would rather be way wrong, way wrong, like totally and completely incorrect about an opinion on a race than be just a little bit wrong and get beat a neck. That happens at Saratoga sometimes. You live with it. Oh, that that happened at Breeders' Cup for me. Yeah. Breeders' Breeders' Cup juvenile turf fillies. I mean, who who thought Ann Parole was going to – Won that race? I didn't. I thought it was going to be, thought it was going to be the European shipper. But you know, it ha- you're right. It happens. Yep. And one of the things that I will advise is, do not bet every race. There is nothing saying you need to bet every race just because this is an A plus level track. And that goes for Del Mar. It goes for Keeneland. It goes for anywhere. Do not compromise successful handicapping strategies just because it's Saratoga or just because it's Delmar, or just because it's Keeneland, because if you do, you're chasing. And that's never, ever, ever a good thing. 
and never, ever, ever, you don't, just because they have two pick fives and two pick fours, you don't have to play any pick fours, any pick fives. If you don't have a legitimate, you feel like you don't have a legitimate shot to win a pick four or pick five, do not play it. I know that like our website will suggest pick fours and pick fives to play, but it doesn't mean that you have to play them. Yep. Right? They have daily doubles for a reason. And also there's this revolutionary new wager. I don't know if either of you have heard of it. It's called the win bet and it's fantastic. <laughs> Go ahead, Caitlin, with your final question for Andrew. All right. Last question. And this always makes me feel a little nostalgic and a little bit sentimental. Um, what horse do you relate most to Saratoga? So there's a couple and I'll give you a list. If you were to tell me to only name one, that'd be impossible. Okay. I'll name you a couple. There were two horses on the Naira circuit that helped me fall in love with racing because they ran every 10 days to two weeks, like clockwork for many, many, many years. If you want to treat, go to Equibase, look up the horses, golden tent and boom towner. Those horses were very hard knocking horses on the New York circuit for five, six, seven years. They'd run in claimers. Sometimes they'd run in low level stakes races, but they always showed up. And that's the essence of horse racing. We want horses that'll run consistently that are easy to follow and that are fun. When you look at them in a racing form horses, you see that, Oh, this horse is running. I know what this like. You get some of that on the New York bread level, but it's not the same as it was when those two ran. The other one that'll bring up for sentimental reasons is four star Dave. And when people talk about unbreakable records in horse racing, I respect people who say we'll never see a horse win by 31 lengths in the Belmont stakes again. I respect that. I respect people who talk about other records, whether it's time wise, whether it's earnings wise, whatever. I get all of that. The most unbreakable record in all of horse racing is held by four star Dave who won a race at Saratoga for what seemed like 9,000 years in a row. It's never going to happen again. Horses do not run that long. They do not stay in top condition that long. It just does not happen. So anybody out there who tries to say that there's another horse racing record that's as unbreakable as that, stuff it, you're wrong. Um, as <laughs> far as as wow, far that was a little that that took a turn. Jeez. Yeah, I well, I'm just saying we undervalue the legacy of four star Dave and it bothers the heck out of me. I'm happy the race named after him is a grade one. It was a grade two for a very long time. If you're going to have a race named after four star Dave at Saratoga, it's got to be a grade one for what he accomplished. Very happy that that happened not too long ago. Now, as far as wagering goes and wagering perspectives and whatnot, I'll reel off a couple of quick stories here. My first big score at Saratoga came on Whitney Day when Left Bank won the Whitney. It wasn't necessarily with Left Bank. It was a cold double that 13-year-old Andrew played that ended with a horse named River Rush in the finale. And it was a $2 double that paid $60. Richard Migliori was on River Rush that day. And I wound up buying dinner for my family that night, which is a big deal for a 13-year-old kid. Um, I was covering the 2012 Travers for the Saratogian. I had Golden Ticket. And you will never be able to convince me that Golden Ticket was not in front 
Um, it got to where it was a three horse photo, by the way, a horse named fast Falcon wound up running third. And I never saw fast Falcon. I saw golden ticket on the rail beneath a masterful ride by David Cohen. I saw alpha ranging up to the outside and I saw those two horses hit the wire together. Well, I wound up hitting the pick four a couple of different times because I did have alpha on my ticket. And since it was a dead heat, they paid out multiple combinations. I also wound up winning a New York State Associated Press Award for multimedia coverage from that day at the racetrack. So always remember that for a couple of reasons. I gave out Arrogate and the Travers. Double-digit odds were a gift on that particular horse. And also a horse by the name of Fixed Point, who was trained by Phil Serpy and was a turf sprinter, helped bring home a pick four in the bankroll section that doubled as my very first signer. So there's a bunch of different horses that'll always hold near and dear to my heart as far as Saratoga goes. It's, it's, just, it's a magical place, and you can't go there and come away without thinking it's a magical place unless you just don't have a heart. Wow. Andy? Uh, um, I, I've, always, I've, I've always been romanticized about go for wand in the in the Alabama against Sharon uh, way back when that was what 89 90 um, I remember man you know what there was a horse that there was a horse that won the Breeders Cup Billy Mare Sprint um, at Del Mar a few years ago that I was completely high on at Saratoga and she Marvel. ran in an overnight which one Bargold. Yeah, she she ended up she ended up running at Saratoga like every any she was running against Chad Browns every single time she'd be entered. <laughs> this one race, this one race, she was running against a Chad Brown. And I was with uh, I was in Hawaii at the time. So of course you can't bet in Hawaii, right? And it's the one time it's the one time that I was like, I cannot believe I cannot bet this Philly today. And she went off at like 12 or 13 to one and one. And I was like, man, that would have made my entire Saratoga meet. And yep. then, uh, you know, three years ago, I hit I, the first opening day, the first day I was just seeing the ball well the entire week uh, coming in from Belmont to Saratoga. And I ended up hitting the early pick five for like, for a couple G's. And I remember going, okay, I'm done. I'm not playing the rest of the meat. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Got to retire on top, right? I, I didn't do that. I ended up playing anyway. Wait you a know. minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Andy. So you mean to tell me that when you said you were quitting horse race betting, you didn't quit? I am shocked. Shocked, I say. Hey, I didn't tweet it out. Okay. This is. Okay. Then, it, then it doesn't count. Then it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It didn't happen. <laughs> Did not happen. So I guess for said, me, I guess for me, ahead. when I think of Saratoga, um, one of the first um, years I watched Saratoga was the alpha golden ticket race. And I will always, always, always remember that um, one that obviously I wasn't alive for, but I always go back and watch and will always make me think of Saratoga. I think was probably the greatest upset of all time. Um, Onion beating secretary at the Whitney. That's what I think of when I think of Saratoga. Of course you do. You always, yeah. I mean, everybody does. Everybody's <laughs> like, uh, you know, and didn't Ruffian begin her 
her whole career at Saratoga? Yes, yes, she did. And in fact, yeah, she did. Uh, when I um, when I was at Saratoga, I got the privilege to go to an event where Bill Knack was speaking. And if you've ever heard Bill Knack talk, unfortunately, he passed away a couple oh. of years ago. If you ever heard him talk, you came away thinking, nobody actually talks like that, right? Well, Bill Knack did. Bill Knack was one of the guys who would recite parts of the great Gatsby from memory. That's how well-spoken and eloquent this guy was. And he told the story of how he and Andy Byer went to the racing office for the first, last, and only times in their careers to beg the trainer of a horse named Laughing Bridge to not run against Ruffian because Ruffian was that much of a freak. Of course, the trainer didn't listen. Ruffian kicked Laughing Bridge's butt and, you know, the rest is history, but it was a really funny story. Them talking about it because trying to imagine Bill Mack and Andy Byer talking to a trainer about the spots in which to run their racehorses. It's it, it never not going to be funny. And could you imagine, could you imagine how mad that trainer was? Um, I can the imagine on them back I mean, then were bigger than they are now. I don't know if they're bigger than they are now. There are certain trainers who certainly use that as an homage to the past. I'm trying to imagine what would happen if someone told Bob Baffert not to run in a particular race because another Philly would kick his Philly's butt. But yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a damn good story told by one of the best storytellers in the history of racing. Oh, I can, I, I seriously, and, and we'll end on this point, And I don't know if, Caitlin even knows who Bill Knack is. Of William course Knack I know who face. Bill Knack is. Oh, sorry, excuse me. You're young. Um, <laughs> but I could I could hear, I could listen to him recite the telephone book and yep. just be happy about it. I, I did not know you did not know Bill Knack. Okay. I, I I figured you did, but just made sure of it, Caitlin. Why is it every time you're on, I get in trouble with Caitlin, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> because it's never my fault. <laughs> <laughs> with that said, uh, final thought is enjoy Saratoga, enjoy Del Mar, especially enjoy Del Mar. We never know how many more years we're going to be able to see California racing, sadly. Um, and we appreciate that Andrew Champagne took the time to do this wonderful uh, podcast again. Third time, by the way. And uh, next week, we will have an owner from Woodbine coming on. So, Oh, nice. We'll need to talk to him and see how his outfit's going, and, and it'll be fun. So thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Caitlin, send us out. That was the Goat Zoom Room. So excited to have you back and join us next week.